What a prophecy this is that I have read to you this evening. And if you are, first of all, a Christian, you'll be very familiar to this portion of Scripture. In fact, if you've been anywhere near church, I would say that you uh, would be very familiar with this prophecy. I want to read to you again just one verse, and that's verse 5. And that is where I want to spend some time with you tonight. It says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And listen to this, friends. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Brethren, we've been going through this as a church on a Sunday evening. This chapter 53, of course, in fact, the first three or four verses of the latter part of 52. What a joy it's been. It's lovely to revisit these things and we have our Sunday evening service. We call it a gospel service and we seek there to go back to these great fundamentals of the precious gospel, which sadly in many places today have been lost. Where somebody asked me this morning as I was preaching, and I, in fact, in part of my prayer was the prayer for revival. And I had, uh, there was a visitor in and she questioned that, she questioned why I would ask for revival. Friends, we need revival desperately need revival it starts with with us starts with me the lord will revive us and go back to those great truths that have been fought for over the ages In many ways that's why we've just gone through six months of the pilgrim's path going through the solars we need a reformation we need a revival but in order to do that, it is my passion, I believe, we need to go back to the word of God and the simplicity, and I say that reverently, of this precious gospel. So Isaiah, this prophecy, it was called by Augustine the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel. Within this prophecy, we see the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, we will, for it is the prophecy of his death. This book was written around about 700 BC. Isaiah was the son of Amos, and he was prophesying in the time of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Ezekiah. So before we get to this verse 5, to which we are going to concentrate on for some time this evening, let us just have an overview of what leads up to it. We see, don't we, in... 52.13 Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. My servant shall deal prudently. When Christ comes, he shall deal prudently. Or wisely. Some translations, some that you have tonight might say wisely. He shall come. Of course, we speak of his first coming. He shall come and do all that was given him to do. Christ will come, and he will be successful. That's what Isaiah is saying. When this 
Messiah is come, when he is born, when he comes into the, into, into the womb of Mary, when he is born, he shall be, and it's a word, isn't it, that we might not, we might be hesitant to use, but Christ shall be and has been fully successful. There's a gospel out there today that makes salvation only possible or salvation partly um, unpermanent. But friends, Christ will deal wisely. He came and he fulfilled all that he was to do. The life and the death of, of, of Jesus Christ, his resurrection will not fail and will bring about redemption to the nations. You see, the Arminian view would be that that's only possible. The sola scriptura, the reformation, but more than that apostolic doctrine tells us this. He shall save his people from their sins. Christ didn't come hoping to save. Christ came to deal prudently. He came to bring in the elect. We notice, and we're only going to be brief regarding the points here, but we notice in verse 13 of, of chapter 52, also the wonderful reality of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He shall be exalted and extolled and be made very high. That every knee shall bow. In that, that lovely uh, letter to the Philippians, Paul tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He shall be exalted. You know what's wonderful about that? He says those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth. What a wonderful thing. That every knee shall bow. Friends, we ought not to forget it. Mr. Vladimir Putin shall bow to the King of Kings. You and I will bow. Every knee shall bow. To him who reigns, to him who sits on the throne, even as we speak. Friends, we... We look forward, don't we? If we indeed are Christian tonight, we look forward to a time where Christ will be eternally worshipped by his redeemed and the angels of heaven singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He shall be exalted and he shall be made very high. Moving very quickly on, then comes the subject of his humiliation. And that really is the outworking of the rest of this prophecy, his humiliation, or we could term that the, the, his, the passion. As I say, as I say, rights, and as I've read through this whole chapter, no doubt you are ladies and gentlemen tonight who have read this many times. This great humiliation that he will suffer as a criminal, scorned and mocked and despised and rejected. That's the reality, that's the brutality of what our Christ went through, a complete humiliation. You see, some some church traditions, in particular the Catholics, they have these silly pictures of 
of a Christ with a trickle of blood. But friends, that is not so. Isaiah says he was marred more than any man. There was a humiliation. He was possibly naked there. We had the pleasure of visiting Israel and we went, we were, we went through the, apparently to the place where all this happened and they gave us a historical overview of what would have took place to one who was crucified and the reality of that was complete and utter humiliation and brutality. The reality and the brutality of that humiliation, as I say, is he was marred more than the sons of men. Friends, Christ suffered the vile brutality of men by those to whom he had created. But far more importantly is this. We know that something far more was taking place, more than the violent brutality of men. We know that, don't we? Something greater was taking place. The Isaiah, the prophet, goes on to tell us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. We ought to pause. That's such a thought, friends. You remember when you read through the book of Revelation, I can't quite remember where it's quoted, but I know somewhere, particularly in the King James, it says that there was silence for nearly half an hour. And when we contemplate this point, there's something far more than the brutality of man. Something far more was taking place, though we do not seek to remove the reality of that, but we don't stop there. What was that something else? It was this, propitiation. Christ was taking upon him and bearing the wrath of his father. As we moved on and move on to chapter 53, we then see the rejection of Christ. We have seen his exaltation. We see his humiliation. And then we see this great rejection that Christ was rejected by men. As the Gospel of John puts it, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. The Jews who had the, the scripture, the Jews who had the Torah, the Jews who held fastly were longing in many ways for Messiah. He came and they rejected him. One of the things that I find when I read the story of Barabbas. You remember Barabbas, the criminal, notorious criminal. And he's put on the stand maybe something far bigger than this. And on one side there is this Barabbas. And on the other side there is the Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who has worked wonders amongst these people, who has spoken far greater than what the Pharisees could. This pure, spotless lamb. What did they cry out? Pilate stands out, doesn't he? He says, which one do you want? Who shall we free? And they cry, Barabbas. They cry, Barabbas, crucify the Christ. What a picture that is, friends, that men have loved darkness rather than light. Men have hated God, despised, as the prophet says, despised and rejected him. Both Jew and Gentile alike have rejected the Christ. Friends, do we not see the manifestation in our day? Do we not see the overt rejection, the love of sin, the love of darkness, 
Do we not see that in our own day? That men have loved darkness rather than light. That the conditions of men's heart are not given to want God. And by nature, men's will is at enmity with him. That is the condition, friends, of mankind. And some are such of you. So that's a very quick overview leading up at least to this verse that I want to bring to you tonight. By his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. But before we go to that terminology, let us go to this. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, said the prophet Isaiah there at the latter part of verse 5. And we must not take that away from the verse. And I want to say, and I'm sure you are very well aware of this, as so many have. They want to quote the latter part of the verse, by his stripes we are healed. But we don't want to hear this part, do we? The chastisement for our peace was upon him. You see, there are many, again, I'm sure you are very aware that there are many in particular in the contemporary church of today that use this verse and a claim and a command for healthy living, a healthy life, and if sickness does come upon us, then we can claim our healing because Christ took it all at the cross. I'm sure you've heard such things. Friends, you will know too that this kind of doctrine has become the focus of many pulpits in our land. Though, of course, we believe, as the scriptures teach us, there is a day coming, is there not, when your aches and your pains will be over, when you have a new body, a resurrection body, the illness and the decay of your body is over. We know that Paul tells the Romans that even creation cries out for the day of redemption. We also hope, uh, also know, and I, I hope that we do, that, that that day does await us, whether that be by death or by the return of the Lord. And that we can say, but what we can say tonight, what we can say tonight, that certainly at the prophet's, the prophet's emphasis here is not the health and wealth of our life here on earth. So what then? Well, let us look at three things. The chastening, the healing, and its outcome. Chastening, healing, and its outcome. This, friends, the chastening, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. I want to say to you tonight, with simplicity, this, friends, is fundamental to gospel truth. This is absolutely fundamental to gospel truth, that the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin, as Paul tells those in Rome, the wages of sin is death. The punishment upon Adam was death. Man needed to be chastened. Christ suffered on our behalf. This chastening is described throughout this prophecy. Despised, rejected, marred, wounded, bruised, rejected. Paul says again to the Christians in Rome, he was delivered up for our offences. 
he was delivered up for our offences. Friends, how used to the gospel are we? Romans 4.25, that is. If we were to meditate upon that one verse for a week, it may do us good. How many times did I look around the room here tonight? Have you read that? How many times have I read it and gone over it? I know that. We know the wages of sin is death. We know, don't we, that he was delivered up for our offences. We know that. But friends, do we not at times find ourselves guilty of passing over these wonderful things? Peter says um, in his epistle, similar words, he actually quotes the prophet who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He bore our sins in his own body. I addressed this a few weeks ago as I was back in the church at home. But I'm going to say here tonight, with the same emphasis, that this bearing of sin in his own body, this wasn't just a brutal act of men towards Jesus. This was a holy God punishing his own son in the place of sinners. The prophet tells us that, does he not? Please the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for his sin, Christ suffered the curse of sin. He is the sin bearer. The perfect sacrifice. My daughter came up to me this afternoon. She had one of those love hearts. Remember them? Yeah. And they sometimes say something on there. Sometimes it's romantic. And it said perfect. And she gave it me. I said, there's only one perfect Eden. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him, isn't it? The Lamb of God. The perfect spotless one. He, it is he, friends, he, the Christ, he is the sin bearer, the perfect sacrifice. It is so important for us to understand this. Christ isn't just an example for us to live by. Do you hear? I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with what's going on out there in, in, in certain pulpits. But all Christ has become, friends, is an example for us to live by. I want to say to you, he is that, but he is far more than that. He is the sin bearer. He is the one who had his sin laid upon us, upon him, for our sins. He is the one who took the punishment that our sin deserves. And therefore, friends, therefore, because of such a sacrifice, therefore, providing for us forgiveness of sin and freedom from final consequences of sin. Paul states in Galatians 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Is this not the chastisement that was upon him that Isaiah was telling us about? That the Christ became a curse for us. He is our substitute, friends. I'm sure I'm speaking to those of you tonight who have heard those terminologies for years. He is our 
substitute. He took the wrath of the Father on our behalf. He who knew no sin bore the sin of many. Let me quote John Stott. He says, what did exactly happen? The sinless one was made sin for us. Which must mean that he bore the penalty of our sin instead of us. And he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Which must mean that the curse of the law lying upon us for our disobedient was transferred to him so that he bore it instead of us. I know I am very much tonight laboring the point, but I am convinced, friends, tonight, that this is of huge importance, particularly now in our day. This is not just something we need to read about from books of antiquity. It's not just something that we need to look back on and say, wasn't it wonderfully preached in the day of Mr. Spurgeon? Look at the effects. We want to talk about the effects of what took place, and they are wonderful. I'm trying to work through a two-volume book on the life of Charles Spurgeon. Wonderful times, wonderful days of refreshing, wonderful days of blessedness, wonderful days where seats were filled and churches were crammed. And we can't manufacture that. I can't manufacture that. But I want to say to you that there are times and seasons in the history of the church where men preached the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of God, but there were these truths. And we must hold dear to them. The proper title that Christ died in our place is this, penal substitution. Penal substitution. This substitution took the penalty For the wages of sin is death. I do wonder if we really get this. I confess to you tonight, I do. I wonder if the modern church are even concerned about these truths. I ask you tonight, are you concerned about them? Are you passionate for them? Do you know that it is the, it is the, the wonderful lamb, the, the, the pure lamb, the, the one that bore your sin. He did. But I ask in a very generic way, do we really get this? That the eternal son of God took upon himself the wrath, wrath of his father. And that was due to us, to save us. John Stott there from the quote I, I, I mentioned from a chapter called the self-substitution of God. Friends, what wonderful truth that is. This gives us a reality of the problem of sin. That the son had to come and die. Friends, the blood of lamb and goats, that, that were not sufficient. They, these were, those were but shadows. But here we speak of the substance. Here we speak of the incarnate son of God who lived a life of 33 years in perfect and pure obedience unto the law of God, unto the will of the Father. And he became a curse for us. He who knew no sin bore the sin of many. This is the chastisement that the prophet speaks of. The chastisement of our peace. 
was upon him. I think I might be right in mentioning in the old days, some of you might know better than I, but I think kings or, or, or well-to-do people, people with money for their own children, or even themselves, they would have a scapegoat. One who would get punished in their place. Friends, this is what we speak of. One who came and took the chastisement upon himself that we were due. This is the chastisement. He gave of his son, chastened his own son, who gave himself to redeem a people unto himself. Saints here tonight, truly, salvation is of Christ alone. So healing. Healing. What has this chastisement accomplished? Healing. Healing. The prophet Isaiah gives us the statement following the one we just looked at. So, so what does this mean? I think we've heard it already in the words before. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. This is almost like a recapitulation as what has been already been said. Our peace, friends, our peace, your peace tonight is your healing. The chastisement has laid, been laid upon Christ. And this brings about a healing. The wounds that was upon him has brought us healing. The chastisement to which you have heard of from the prophet tonight has brought about our peace with God. Christ said of himself in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Christ who is our peace. What is very important to see church tonight is that Christ took upon himself the punishment for our sin. And the outcome, as I've already said, is our healing. That many will be healed. That forgiveness of sin is now possible. We can now be right with God. Healing is now ours. Matthew Henry quotes, The outcome of this chastisement is our peace and healing. Listen to this, friends. Christ was in pain that we might be at ease. Christ was in pain that we might be at ease. Knowing that through him we have forgiveness of sins. By his stripes we are healed. Matthew Paul may know the name. By his sufferings we are saved from our sins. And then listen to this. And from the dreadful effects thereof. You know, even today, the here and the now, you and I are suffering from the consequences of our own sin. We've been saved. We've been saved from sin. We have been saved from all what that means. We can confidently say that sin therefore has no dominion over us. But what we will know is that those life choices or those those sins of, of past, in some degrees we live with the consequences of them. But I want to encourage you, friends, the day coming where that will cease. 
that will have true entrance into the kingdom of his glory. And when we see him, we'll be like him. And that golden chain of Romans 8, 28, 29 and 30, that one day we will be fully glorified. And the consequences of our sins, the dreadful effects, will have gone. What a wonderful thing to know, friends. Do you tonight know that? Do we know really? And how many times have we heard it, friends? How many times have we heard it? We ought not to tire from hearing it, that Christ became our sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, dear brethren, hear me. Not only did God impute our sins onto Christ, but he also transferred or imputed his righteousness to us. Meaning God now sees us in the Christ, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. One might come, in fact, one might turned into one did come to me and say, so you don't sin anymore. I would say, friends, I did say, friends, you've, you've misheard me. Misheard me. Yes, Christ has bore my sin and given me a legal standing before God. In your account tonight, if you are his, you have in your account the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Sin was transferred to him and his righteousness. Friends, can you, can you comprehend it? He bore that sin. And your payment is his righteousness. What a deal. Wonderful. We go on, don't we? We battle with sin every day. We fight the flesh every day. But thank God that we do. It's true evidence that you've actually been born anew. Christ bore my sin and gave me a legal standing before him. We cling to him. We've been justified in the courts of heaven. How? By the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The chastening of the Son. And those who have believed upon him. Read Romans 4, you'll be familiar no doubt. Those who have believed upon him and those who come to believe upon him are declared righteous. Friends, we've been healed. We've been healed. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, if we have believed, we have been justified. See, justification is a, a instantaneous thing. It takes place in a moment. Let me quote, if I can, a Charles Wesley hymn. Tis finished, the Messiah dies. Could offer sin, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice. The great redeeming work is done. Tis finished, all the debt is paid. Justice divine is satisfied. The grand and full atonement made. God for a guilty world hath died. Friends, tis finished. It is finished. What then the outcome as I 
come to a close. We've heard of the chastening. We've heard of it bringing healing. What is the outcome for us? What is the outcome for you? Allow me, if you will, to make one thing clear. A justified man, a healed man, a man who has peace, will be a man who is now being sanctified. A man who is turning from sin and seeking to be holy as his saviour is holy. A healed man looks like something. We know that, don't we? A healed man looks like something. You see, we've spoke of justification, that, that thing that happens in the, in the, in the, in the moments. You've been born, you've been quickened from on high, you've been born of the spirit. What is of the spirit is spirit. But Paul says to those in Ephesus, he who hath quickened you, he who hath made you alive. We've gone through that. You have justified. You are a justified and a well-saved man. But that man looks like something. And he looks now a man who is going through the process of sanctification. He is changing from one degree of glory to another. The disease of sin is now his enemy rather than his friend. Once we loved sin, didn't we? Once it was our pleasure. But when we come to the knowledge of the chastening that was upon Christ and we have believed upon him, we have been made whole, sin becomes our enemy. The man who has been healed learns to hate sin. It becomes his enemy rather than his friend. He now seeks to kill the deeds of the flesh. A man who knows he has the imputed righteousness of Christ now loves to seek to be righteous. He wants to please him who loved him and live for him who has purchased him. It's the outcome. I repeat, the healed man is a changed man and a changing man or a changing woman, a changing person. He's not what he was. Can you say that tonight? I'm not what I was. By the grace of God, I'm not what I was. You might say tonight, you might join me and say, I'm not what I want to be. Certainly not what I want to be. But we can say tonight that we are what we are by the grace of God. For the Son took the chastisement of the Father. He has healed us by his stripes. We have been healed. We are what we are by the grace of God. Friends, a man who has come to that knowledge, that, that man has been healed. What does he do? What did, what did the man do at the beautiful gate? It's a great typology for us. We, we read these wonderful miracles that the Lord Jesus did. What did they go away with? They went away leaping and praising God. We ought to be a thankful people, friends. For all that he has done. A healed man is at awe of so great a salvation as this. His life is now a life that loves to serve his master. And what about this, friends? A healed man fears not death. We don't fear death. We don't fear the day of judgment. There's no sting in death, is there? Christ is our resurrection, is he? He certainly is. 
this promised hope of eternity, friends, awaits us. If you be in Christ Jesus, you have a hope. Not a hope like we hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But when the Bible speaks of hope, we speak of eternity, a certainty. Paul says, doesn't he, the hope will not put us to shame for the love of God has been poured out. The outcome, friends, is that full redemption will take place. Again, there is a, a time coming. There is a time coming where we will enter eternal glory and we shall see him. That's the outcome. We battle on in this life. We, we mortify the deeds of the flesh. Yes, we, we should be changing. That should be the outcome, a changing man, a sanctified man. The end of this is this, that we shall see him. We shall be with him. A new body he will give us. For he who has called, he will redeem. And if, friends, he has redeemed us, then we await that day of glorification. What a gospel this really is. The only hope. Fundamental truths that are crucial for our day. I ask, have you believed this report? Have you and I tonight, have we believed this report? And the report is this, that I've gone through. That Christ came, Christ died, and Christ rose again to redeem a people to himself. Have you believed upon the Christ of the Bible? Of you tonight being healed, friends. Jesus said, didn't he? And I finished with his words. Come to me. Come to me, he said. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And listen to these words. You'll know them. You can quote them. You can even probably tell me where I am quoting from. What about the profundity of them? the reality of them tonight. If you are people here tonight who love the Lord Jesus, he said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, that's imperative. That's imperative for my children. That's imperative for you. That's imperative for your children and for your grandchildren that we have rest for our souls. And it is not in churchianity. It's not, in a, it's not by fulfilling anything other than believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not lose sight of the gospel, friends. Let's preach it. Let's pray about it. Let's seek to tell this wondrous story of the Christ who died for me and called men and women to be healed by the stripes of the Saviour. Amen.